Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. How did you choose what to include? Because the choices were many, I'm sure. I could have written another book. Yeah. But, you know, I had to stay within a parameter of... This book is 450 pages. Oh, nice. And... You know, the, it, it gets to be, it weighs four pounds. So you oh, got to, wow. it's hard to pick and choose, but I could write another book. Yeah. I, I, could, easily, could. I could easily <laughs> write another book with adventures and experiences because they're Volume 30 two. years. I mean, it's so long it's time. amazing. It really is amazing. Yeah. Um, I guess, why did you decide to go from the travel angle this time as opposed to uh, a recipe book with themes, like a themed recipe book? Well, I wanted people to get kind of have a, um, you know, see the personal side of what Italy is all about through my eyes, you know. So I mean, when I when I worked with the guy that made Sicilian cannoli, I've taken this Sicilian cannoli picture now. It's on it's my wallpaper on my computer because I was mesmerized by first of all the thinness of these shells. And the filling, of course. And so I, I decided, well, let me go in the back room, talk to the woman who's putting this all together. You know, so it became a little story. And yeah. and it's things like that. So it was like, it's more of a personal connection with recipes. Okay. A personal connection. So Great. that people will understand that. I want people to understand that Italian food is not about spaghetti and meatballs, which really doesn't exist in Italy. You know, okay. so I... I was all over the boot, so I've covered those experiences from top to bottom. Okay, so you've taken 18 tours. How many trips to Italy yourself, oh. including the 18 tours, have you been on? It oh my be gosh, 40? 40. Wow, I was going to say, at least track more than probably since 1984. 1984 was the first time you right. went. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, at least you know, and sometimes I go twice a year. Depending. Yeah. Yeah. So, what makes them adventures? The unknown. <laughs> like, for instance, going to this buffalo farm at Tora Lupara. The woman there who owns the farm, her name is Manuela. And it's just from the moment you arrive, she, she shows up at the bus with, in her dark glasses and her high heel shoes. This is a farm, mm, buffalo farm. Yeah. And she's all dolled up, you know, like this. Italy, of course. She greets the bus. She's taking pictures. She comes up to me. She hugs me. She says, oh, you're going to have a wonderful time. Takes us to the buffalo. She is like a mother to these buffalo. There's 1,800 buffalo on this farm, and they are treated royally, royally. And then after that, she does a flareful lunch. She'll break, she's coming with her dark glasses on and the mozzarella cheese balls. And it's just, it's the theater of it, <laughs> you know, that surrounds the food. I mean, it's the love of food that, that these people have. And these are artisan products that they're so proud of doing and making. You know, it's, this is something that is kind of lost in our country. I mean, think about it. I mean, we have a movement now where, you know, we have cheese makers since the last, what, decade or so, making beautiful cheeses, local artisan cheeses, bread makers in Vermont, you know, but it's, but it's always been part of Italian culture. And so there's that pride of, you know, look at what we get from the earth. Look at what these animals give us. It's so fabulous. 
So we show up on this gorgeous estate. I mean, palm trees, orange trees, lemon trees, you know, gorgeous, just, it's just gorgeous, you know, with the old buildings and everything. And, and we had just eaten lunch at a seaside restaurant where we had like this five-course meal. So we thought we were just going to get a tour of the facility. I should know better. We walked in, and of course, the dining room is set with the most beautiful linens. The women are all in white because that's their uniform. They're stirring all of the marmalades that they're making. They've got crostata on the table. They've got cookies on the table. They've got... And, and of course, we could not say no. We could be rude, right? So we all sat down. They brought out the, the espresso. We're there for two hours. <laughs> so, but it's things like that, you know, and, and you remember that kind of hospitality. and It's just inbred in Italians. You know, you're just not going to come for a sip of tea. One of the recipes I did this year is tied to the show, and a lot of them are tied to the show. We just did a whole new season okay. that comes out in the spring. So I decided this year, I try to th- think of timely topics. So, you know, women are in the news, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The me too, the now. So I'm thinking, now, what's going on in Italy? Oh, yeah. March 8th is International Women's Day, right? Mm-hmm. International Women's Day. So I thought, what does Italy do for International Women's Day? So I did some research, and I found out that they make a cake. It's called Torta Mimosa. And it's called Torta Mimosa because on that day, women received this yellow mimosa flower. It's a bright yellow mimosa flower. And they make a cake. A torta means cake in Italian. Mm -hmm. So they make a torta mimosa. All right, so I decided we're going to make this cake. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this cake is in this book with a beautiful picture. And I'm thinking, and we did it as a show. And I thought... I hope people don't think I'm crazy because it's it's kind of like um, it looks like an igloo. It's easy to do, but it, but you know you form the cake in a bowl, just a regular yeah. bowl. It's easy, and uh, when you're done, it does. It looks like an igloo uh, with confectioner sugar all over. There's, there's a picture of it in the book, and I thought, you know, this is a great recipe to put in the book because not only does it teach you about what how Italians look at women on this special day. But they also have this this way of honoring them with the flowers and the and the cake. So I thought, well, there's a little bit of history that maybe not a lot of people would know. And I bet a lot of other Italian cookbooks probably don't have. So that's the kind of thing I like to do, is to find something that is not so well known, but that you can create in your kitchen. Like, for instance, there's a wonderful recipe in here for lamb chops, and I chose it because I remember being on this masseria, which is a farm where, uh, this is in Molise, a little small region, where shepherds would travel from pasture lands. They would do what was called the transumania, which means once the sheep were done pasturing in one place, they would lead them down the mountain and they'd find another. And they would stay in these little inns along the way while they were leading the sheep to different pastures. So we stayed in one of these types of inns when we were filming Chow years ago. And I remember Luigi eating in his dining room, and he was so passionate about the lamb. So he decided to do these lamb chops. So I took copious notes while I was there, and 
they that recipe wound up in the book about the story of the transhumanza. So, in other words, the recipes have to have a reason, a story with them, a little bit of history. That's what I love so much about your cookbooks. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to edit this. I feel like I can't talk sometimes because yeah, okay. we're going to get her yeah. But that's no. what I loved about your cookbooks, always the stories. Yeah, all those stories. there's a great story in here that is my favorite story, and it's about a, a race. It's called The Race of the Crazies. And it takes place in Gubbio, which is in Umbria, central region of Italy. And I think that was my very favorite show that we ever filmed in Gubbio because it was, I was in the midst of this frenzy, thousands of people who are waiting to see these three saints sitting, these tiny three saints like this big, sitting on top of these 1,000 missile-like, 1,000-pound missile-like candles that are like 30 feet in the air and they're carried by a team and so there's three saints that are competing with each other and it's a very interesting story because you know these people in Gubbio know who the winner is before the race even starts but they're all nuts as if they don't know you know so they're I mean they prepare they make this big dinner they get the confetti they all wear different scarves to represent the saint that they love the day of the race the, the doors open in the piazza and out come these three saints and it's like people are crying they all know who the winner is they're crying and they're going it, this is the, what I mean it's that I don't know, that cultural folklore that just gets me yeah. so I I tucked it away in my head and then I one day I just sat down and I wrote the story. Um, and when I read it, I'm right there, you know? I go right back there. Because I do keep a journal for every every trip that I've ever taken. And you probably know that as a journalist. Very wise. Yeah, yeah very wise. Because journals from 1989 are sitting on my shelf, and then I think, oh. and people say, well, why has it lasted so long? Well, I think it's lasted so long because, first of all, I think people really love Italian food. You know, so that it's a comfort. It's a comfortable food. You know, I think for for instance, like French food is so much more formalized. You know, and it's it's intimidating because people think, oh, I got to make all those sauces. <gasps> you know, I don't know how to do that, and they can't pronounce the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think there's a little bit of a familiarity with Italian, and also people think it's cheap. You know, it's economical. Um, but they only they have a very very narrow understanding of what if I asked them what Italian food was what they would tell me spaghetti and meatballs deep deep dish Chicago style pizza and uh, I don't know what else you know that's what they would tell me eggplant parmesan oh chicken parm which doesn't exist in Italy <laughs> there's no chicken parm at all nope oh my goodness <laughs> so no chicken parm and no chicken mixed with pastas. So we did that to Italian cooking in some fashion Americans did. We did, yes. And that's what people understand as, a, as Italian food. But then when they go to Italy, for instance, when I took the group to Naples the first time, this is the second time I've done Naples, I took them to a pizzeria in Naples. I said, you're going to eat real pizza now. So we went to a pizzeria called Il Presidente. It was named that because Bill Clinton had eaten there. So we go in. We've got the wood-fired ovens, right? You got the pizzaiolo. He's the guy that's making the pizza. In, in in Naples, you have to pass certain tests in order for the pizza to be considered a vera pizza napoletana. They have a, a, a term for it, la vera pizza napoletana. If you, if you consider yourself that in your restaurant, it's like getting a Michelin star. 
So you go into the, so you have to follow certain rules. I mean, the pizza has to cook in ninety seconds. The edges have to be charred. It can't be more than ten inches in diameter. It can't be filled with anything except the specific ingredients related to the name of the pizza. Let's say it's margarita. So you've got tomatoes, mozzarella di buffalo cheese, buffalo cheese, and basil, fresh basil. That's it. Okay, so I'm there and I tell them. What should, they said, what should we have? I said, why don't you have the margarita? That is the classic pizza of Naples. That's what defines Neapolitan pizza. As a name for Queen Margarita, who visited Naples when Naples was still under Spanish rule. And the pizzaiolo who made the pizza for her, his name was Rafael Esposito. Esposito, no relation. So he decided that he would create a pizza that had the colors of the Italian flag. Green for basil, white for mozzarella, and red for tomatoes. See where we're going with this? So we, okay, so they all decide to have this. All right. And this is just shows you how ingrained we've become with Italian-American food. The pizza comes. It's too soggy in the center. The edges are charred. doesn't have enough topping on it. My mother and grandmother would always start baking Christmas cookies on October 12th when I was a kid. And so I, I remember it, we lived in a big, big house because my grandmother had a, had a boarding house. This was her boarding house. And upstairs, there was a room that was unheated. It was cold as a tomb. It was like a freezer. So my mother got the bright idea that if she started making Christmas cookies in October, she would put them in these. She had these big tins. In fact, I still have one. And she would put them in these big tins that she used to get dried cherries in from Michigan. So they would send her these big tins of dried cherries. Okay. Her dried cherry cookies are one of my very favorites. So when the tins were empty, she would stay, save them. And then she would start baking cookies, and they would all be layered in these tins, and they would be stored in this back room. And they would stay there until Christmas. I would go up there occasionally and rearrange them because I would take one or two out, you know, and try them. Uh, but... And so it's one of those traditions that kind of stuck with me when I started, you know, had my my own family. I said, and I've been doing this since I can remember, since, uh, you know, since I've been married, obviously, really. So every year around, and I started earlier this year because I knew I had to do book things, you know, travel. (laughs) So I started last week. I said, I have to make cookies. So I've made the chocolate, um, the totos, which are also known as chocolate pepper cookies. I've made the nut cookies here. I've made a shortbread cookie. I made a biscotto uh, with pistachio, and, and I made a uh, dried fig cookie. I made the cujadati, which are fig cookies from Sicily. By the time I'm done, and I have three freezers, so, you know, for me, that this is the, I don't realize this is not something everyone can do. But what I do is I, I get them all packaged, labeled, they go in the freezer, and it's scary because we do eat Christmas cookies until August. I'm not kidding you. And we, we give a, I give a lot of these away. I give them away at Christmas time. My daughter comes, and this is a ritual for her. Because if I didn't do this, she'd say, well, you didn't make the cookies. <laughs> we go down to the basement. That's where the freezer is. And I have a big, long table. Uh, longer than this. And then we take out, I've got boxes, pretty boxes, wrapping paper, <laughs> all the stuff you need. And we box them all up. We have a list of people that they go to. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.